Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. Thank you for listening to the show. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project on your favorite podcast platform, as well as share it with your colleagues. If you're looking for more content, check out or follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn and Facebook for some different types of content and check out robsreliability.com as well. If you're looking for a short daily audio tip, subscribe to Rob's Reliability Tip of the Day on your favorite podcast platform. As well, it's also available on Amazon Alexa as a flash briefing. So check that out. Finally, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, just send me an email to robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's get rolling. RCM expert Nancy Regan on to discuss some tips and tricks about RCM as well as her playing poker. Hey guys, I'm here with Nancy Regan. Nancy, how are you doing? I'm doing great today. Thank you. So Nancy, you were in Boston this week. What were you doing up there? Oh, I took some time out and I went to visit my sister and it was just a wonderful time. The weather was beautiful and it's just always great seeing her and spending time with her. Oh, it's great to have a little holidays in the summer. Yes, it is. And, and if you're going to go to Boston, go to Boston in the summertime, not the winter. <laughs> That's right. I spent a, I spent uh, my year in and it's a great city. Yeah, it sure is. So for, for everyone who's not familiar, Nancy Regan, she's an RCM expert. She's founded RCM Training Online. She's also the founder of The Force Inc., a reliability consulting firm. She puts out videos about RCM on LinkedIn all the time. Follow them. They're great. Nancy, did I miss anything? No, that's excellent. Thank you. Perfect. And so if you've been watching up these videos like I have, you'll know that Nancy's a poker player. So Nancy, I want to ask you a question. What's the, what's the most interesting poker hand you've played? Oh, I have a really good story about that. And and it not only involves poker, but I actually used the essence of reliability-scented maintenance on this particular day. So I was in Vegas, and my husband and I go regularly. We like to play tournament poker, No Limit Hold'em, Texas poker. And we had been there for a few days, and I wasn't doing very well. I was, you know, making it to maybe the ninth level or so, playing for several hours, but um, I just couldn't make anything happen. And I, I just knew that I was playing too tight. I was being too conservative. I wasn't taking enough calculated risks to really help me build my chip stack. And in poker, chips are everything. So anyway, on, this, on the fourth day of our trip, I was putting my makeup on. I was getting ready to play a tournament at the Venetian. And I had Seinfeld on the television. 
And it, <laughs> <laughs> it was the episode where George decides to do everything the opposite of what he would normally do to turn his life around for the better. And that gave me an idea. So I'm putting on my mascara and I'm looking in the mirror and I said, you know what? Today, I'm going to do the opposite of what I would normally do at the poker table in risky spots. And I'm going to see if I can turn this around. So I go to the Venetian, I buy in, and I was doing really well with my new strategy. I, I managed to build up a decent chip stack. And then I got moved to another table to balance things out. As, as, as people get knocked out of the tournament, the tournament director moves other people to other tables so that the tables have equal amount of players at, at each table. Now, on my first hand at that table, I look down and I have ace jack of hearts. So I raised and then it folded to a guy who announced he, he's all in. So he shoves all his chips in the middle and says, I'm all in. And that means he's betting all his chips. Now, I knew that I had him covered. So I had more chips than he did, but only by a little bit. So if I lost this hand, I'd be crippled. And, you know, I'd pretty much be out of the tournament. So I thought to myself, and here's what I thought. It's my first hand at this table, so they don't know how I'm playing. But stereotypically, at the poker table, a man can get a woman to easily fold with a big bet, unless the woman has a monster, which I didn't. Ace Jack of Hearts is, is good, but it's not a monster. So I thought to myself, well, I was just moved here. So there's a significant chance that he's just trying to push me around. Or he really does have a big hand and I'm a big dog, as they say in poker, <laughs> meaning he's the favorite to win. But see, what he didn't know on that day is that I wasn't Nancy. I was George and George does the opposite. So here's where I, where I applied the essence of reliability scented maintenance. My mentor, John Mowbray, taught me that the essence of RCM is managing the consequences of failure. You always have to understand what the consequences of failure are when you're making your decisions. So here's what went through my mind. If he's just trying to push me around, I have about a 70% chance to win. And at worst, if he has a better hand and I'm a dog, then I have about a 20% chance to beat him. But no matter what, I still had a chance, no matter what he held. So I asked myself if I was willing to accept the consequences of getting knocked out of this tournament in this particular spot. And because I was George on that day, I said, yes, I decided that the level of risk was acceptable to me. So I said, I call. He stood up and he slammed his ace king of clubs on the table because he knew he had me. So I stood up and turned my ace jack of hearts over and put my hands on my head and thought, oh, in this spot, he's a 70 percent favorite. So the dealer burned the top card, swiftly counted out the next three, and then spread them face up on the table. Some of the players gasped. Other players yelled, no way. The near impossible had happened. I didn't just flop a flush. I flopped the stone cold nuts when it comes to poker. The flop was king, ten, queen of hearts. I flopped <laughs> a royal flush. It was amazing. Wow. So my opponent fumed and he yelled at me and said I was stupid for calling. And, uh, well, you know, maybe, but he was really yelling at George. So the dealer pushed me the pot and I ended up finishing 23, 23rd out of 848 players. So you see, that's what RCM can do for you. It can even help you win at poker. <laughs> Great story. Thank you. Yeah, it sounds like you were put in, instead of putting 
You put it on the football makeup under the eyes. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so one thing, one thing, so obviously, like you're a you know a thirty percent favorite there. You're you're a fairly big dog in that hand, and I I've been working. Well, I've been poker too, and you know, as part of reliability, we talk about variance. Like we we look at risk, and risk can either go one way or the other. And just like reliability, poker has that element of variance. Reliability has that er element of variance. How do you explain variance to people? Okay, so variance is the difference between an individual result and the average for a set of results. So in this particular hand that we just talked about, seven out of 10 times, that guy is gonna win the hand but not this time. And what makes variance really nauseating for poker players is that you can lose five times in a row when you're 70% to win. So over a lifetime of playing poker, he's going to come out on top when he's playing ace-king versus ace-jack because over a lifetime or over a large sample, he's going to win 70% of the time. But in poker, sometimes it seems like you, you get on some sort of a losing streak and you just keep losing your, you know, 80-20s and your 70-30s. And no matter how well you play, you get your money in good, you still lose. And so that's what variance is in the poker world. Uh, the opposite also works, right? Like that's downside variance, but there's also winning streaks that you go on. Those are pretty nice. There are definitely winning streaks. I swear there's a certain energy when it comes to poker because when you're on a roll, man, you just can't lose. And then other days you can make all the right decisions and it just won't go your way. <laughs> it's too bad. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I want to, you know, like we're talking about variants. We're talking about good variants and bad variants. Do equipment failures work the same way? So like if we use RCM, we create an optimized maintenance program. Do we still have failures? I mean, absolutely, yes. And that's because we live in the real world and not fantasy land. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's where, that's why the essence of RCM is managing the consequences of failure. So, you know, let's just say, for example, you're going to do vibration analysis on a bearing and you've got a good beat on it. So, you know, at what signature you need to take action and say, for example, replace the bearing, but, you know, before failure actually occurs. Um, what you have, when you do reliability ascent and maintenance, one of the things you do is assess consequences. So if that bearing were to fail and someone say could be killed as a result, then you probably don't just wanna rely on your vibration analysis because you know, like I said, we live in the real world. And what if we don't pick up that vibration signature or whatever? What if whatever happens? Because the whatever happens every day in our every day in our world, then you want to do something in addition to the vibration analysis. And you know, there could be a whole host of things when it comes to different circumstances. Absolutely. And, and so the last one before we kind of get more into the nuts and bolts of RCM. What do you, like, are there any correlations between poker and RCM? Yes, there is definitely another correlation between poker and reliability-centered maintenance. Now, my mentor, John Mowbray, taught me about, I'm not going to say the four-letter word, but he said it when he taught me. He taught me about 
blank off power and meaning you have a certain amount of power with what you're doing. Now, at the poker table, chips are everything. And that's what gives you power at the poker table. But the same thing is super important when it comes to our physical assets. Because in any given situation, you know, the highest need has the least amount of power. So if you're working in your environment in a reactive environment, that is, you're letting your equipment fail and you're only fixing it when it breaks, or you're not really thinking ahead to what the right maintenance is, then you're at the mercy of your machine. Just like at the poker table, when you have very few chips, you're really at the mercy of the cards. So when you do reliability-scented maintenance, what you do is you create an enormous amount of power for yourself because you decide if and when you should be doing any kind of proactive maintenance. Sometimes it's less expensive to let something run to failure based upon the cost of the task and the consequences of failure. And sometimes it's completely intolerable not to do something proactively. So when you do reliability-scented maintenance correctly, you create power, you take back your power from your equipment and you operate from a position of strength. That sounds like a good thing. I think that's one thing that a lot of people misconstrue in the reliability world is that it's okay to let things fail. Yes, definitely. I mean, you know, failure is sometimes okay. You don't have to predict or prevent every failure. Absolutely. So uh, let's let's jump back here um, for people who maybe they're not familiar with what RCM is. And RCM stands for Reliability-Centered Maintenance. Now, Nancy, you're an RCM facilitator. You train people on how to do RCM themselves. Um, now, like, what is RCM and why is it important to us as reliability engineers? Okay, so in a nutshell, reliability-scented maintenance is a, is a process that we use to figure out what actions we should take, whether it's maintenance or any other kind of an action, like maybe change a training program or a redesign to the equipment. It's what we have to do to make sure our machines run the way we need them to. And... You know, when you do reliability-scented maintenance, the first four steps of the process make up the FAMIA or the failure modes and effects analysis. You've got functions, functional failures, failure modes, and failure effects. In yep. step five, you figure out failure consequences. And we, we, exp we just talked about why that's so important. In step six, you consider if there is any kind of preventive or predictive maintenance, like a scheduled restoration or scheduled replacement or condition-based maintenance. Now, a lot of people think, I, I often get asked the question, well, should I do CBM or RCM? But actually, condition-based maintenance is embedded in step six. So when you do RCM, you're all you're automatically considering condition-based maintenance. Absolutely. And then you've got, and then you've got step seven, where you just where you decide if there are any default strategies that maybe you need to do. Like I mentioned, for example, chaining a, changing a training program or doing a, a failure finding task on a protective device, like blowing smoke at a smoke detector every so often to make sure that it would be available when we need it. So, you know, really, and when, it, when you boil, you can boil RCM down to this, it is common sense applied to physical assets. <laughs> that's, that's reliability scented maintenance 
I've actually kind of always thought a lot of reliability comes down to common sense, but n- now that you've said it, it makes it really uh, turns the light on. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. So, what assets should we do RCM on? Is it just everything in our plants or facilities? It seems like a lot of work. Yeah, that would definitely be a lot of work. I, no, I mean, I don't think that. I first of all would probably be way. Uh, cost prohibitive to do OCM on everything. And it probably isn't necessary either. If you've you've got someone out there who's listening and is thinking, hey, I'd really like to try reliability-centered maintenance, first with a couple of pilot projects just to make sure you know what the process is all about and what it can produce for you and make sure it's what you want to do. But definitely do start with those with equipment that's causing you the most problem, that's giving you the most grief. That would be, you know, the low hanging fruit, so to speak. You know, other than that, um, I think I think you could just use common sense to decide what to do reliability scented maintenance on. You know, machines or equipment that's really vital to your operation then I would say absolutely do reliability scented maintenance on. But, you know, a lot, a big misconception of the process is that people say you have to do LCM across your entire plant. And, um, you know, that you really don't have to do it on, on everything. Um, you know, that you just, you just don't, you, you just have to use your common sense. Yeah, absolutely. And so, Let's dig into the process a little bit. So if we were going to start off trying to do an RCM, what what do we need to do that? Like what what kind of do we need people? Do we how much time does it take? What else do we need to do it? Okay, so I advocate a facilitated working group approach to RCM. So what that means is you have the equipment experts who do the analysis with a trained OCM facilitator. So the facilitator is someone who's very well versed in OCM principles and can lead the team, ask the right questions and record their answers. And the equipment experts provide the information about the asset in question. So you need the right people. And then in terms of what else you might need, um, definitely some tech manuals or drawings, any kind of technical information that would be relevant but I've also worked with some organizations that were really light on the kind of documentation they had. And you can still do RCM because you have the people in the room who know the equipment so well. You know, when you finish an RCM analysis, you have a really robust document about that equipment uh, when you're finished with it. And one of the great byproducts of RCM is, you know, most organizations have people who've been working with their equipment for 20, 30 years. And when they decide to retire or leave, all of that know-how, all of that knowledge walks out the door with them. But when you do OCM and you ask all of these technical questions and you get to pick their brain, you get to record all of that knowledge in the Philly modes and effects analysis and the rest of the um RCM questions as well. So it's it's like a, a really good solid technical history of your equipment when you're done with it. And it's so important these days with a lot of the baby boomer generation retiring. Yes, absolutely. So it's a great way to preserve that knowledge. One thing I, I find with people doing RCM is sometimes they don't have the right people in the room. The people, maybe they 
instead of getting the actual millwright or mechanic who maintains the component, they get the full. Um, how do you how do you know if you don't have the right people in the room? Well, as a trained facilitator, um, you know, I would know probably within 30 minutes to an hour just because, you know, the questions we ask in RCM are very specific and, you know, it takes a very special body of knowledge to be able to answer them. But if, you, if, if you're an expert in the equipment, you can easily answer them. Um, Absolutely. One thing, one thing I do... I, when, I'm, when I'm getting ready to figure out what working group members I need, I say to the supervisor, I need the person you can't afford to lose for a week. And so <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. If you, if you can answer that question, is this the guy that, that they can't afford to take away for a week, then you know you have got the right working group member. Uh, that's a great one. I'm going to take that one. <laughs> So, so Nancy, if we did an RCM, let's say we've done one at our plant maybe five or 10 years ago, how often should we be looking at it again? Should we just do a whole new one or is there a way to just optimize it like more quickly? Oh yeah, that's a great question. So reliability-centered maintenance is a working program. It's a, any analysis is a working document, which, which means of course it should be reviewed um, periodically. And there really is no specific rule of thumb. It, it, you really need to watch out for things like if you change maybe some requirements from the machine itself, or maybe production requirements have changed, or mission requirements have changed, or the operating environment or the operating context has changed. In those cases, that should definitely trigger a review of the RCM analysis. And no, you don't have to do it all over again. I mean, generally speaking, a, you know, a review should be able to be done and depending upon the the magnitude of the changes, you know, anywhere from maybe a half a day to, a, you know, two or three days with a team to review it. Absolutely. And so does that mean like, like in most cases, our function, maybe it changes a little bit, but it's not really like we're redoing, like, it's not like a from, uh, you know, the, the function doesn't change all that much. Is that kind of the core reason for that? Yes, that is, um, Yes, that is one of the biggest reasons, and that brings up a, a good thought that comes to my mind. My mentor, John Mowbray, taught me to think about reliability in simple terms, and what he taught me is that reliability isn't like a thing on its own, but rather reliability is scattered amongst all of the different functions of a piece of equipment. Now, a lot of people think, you know, you just write, pump, you know, okay, to pump, you know, 20 gallons per minute, blah, blah, blah. And it gets to be done as a matter of rote. But when you write equipment functions, what you're actually doing is identifying the kind of reliability that you want from your equipment. So it's not just in your primary function, it pervades all of the functions of a piece of equipment. So it's an amazing opportunity for any organization to say, this is the kind of reliability that I want. Then you use the rest of the RCM process to figure out what actions you have to take to ensure that reliability. So yes, that is a big reason why you'd want to review your RCM analysis after you know, however long it might be. So Nancy, most of, 
we, we talked a little bit about primary functions. You know, a, a primary function is like the thing the, the machine's supposed to do. So for example, with a pump, it's going to have to pump 20 gallons per minute. Can you give us an example of what a secondary function would be? Yes. So let's talk about secondary functions in general. So although the primary function is the main thing that you want your machine to do, secondary functions have a lot to do with reliability as well. And secondary functions could be things like um, your monitoring equipment, like your gauges, flow meters, sight glasses. And it can also be safety features, like, for example, pressure safety valves. And it's super important that we get our maintenance right on that because safety features or protective devices are there to protect us when things go wrong. So it's, you know, secondary functions aren't necessarily less important than primary functions. Absolutely. Um, so you, you've been facilitating RCMs for a long time. What are, what are the most common mistakes that you see people make when doing an RCM? Okay, yes, this is an excellent question. The biggest mistake, generally speaking, is that people think they can maybe, you know, read something on the internet or read a book and then apply reliability-centered maintenance. So, you know, the, the proper training is key. Now, when you're not trained properly, you know, one of the biggest mistakes I see happening is that people think you have to include every single solitary failure mode or failure cause, let's use the term failure cause, in an analysis. And, um, you know, RCM gives us very powerful tools for figuring out what failure modes to include in analysis. But also, I, I see people writing failure modes at way too low a level. And, you know, you get into this analysis paralysis thing. And the question is, at what level should we write them? Well, you have to use your common sense and answer this question. You know, at what level does it have to be written so that I can develop an appropriate failure management strategy? And, you know, that's a really simple concept, but sometimes it's not that easy. And that's why having a skilled facilitator, someone who really understands the process leading the team to help with that. Absolutely. and and. Like off the top of your head, could you give us an example of a good failure mode? Sure. Um, primary fuel filter clogs due to normal use. Okay. So something like that is we can define, you know, either how long does that take so we can do a preventative maintenance strategy or we could use differential pressure as a kind of go to a condition-based strategy. Yes, exactly. See, if we just said filter fails, well, you know, well, what do we do? See, that's at too high a level. You know, well, what do we do with that? So we, we need to drill down and be, a, you know, a little deeper. Maybe we've got a fuel filter that has a paper element. So maybe we would have a failure mode that says, um, you know, filter element deteriorates due to normal use. And, you know, maybe that's an age-related failure. So maybe we have to go ahead and replace our filter every so often uh, to prevent that from happening. So you see it, you see how there's a certain level of specificity, but it's written at a level that I can figure out what to do about it. Absolutely. And so to get more like just into that, how do we avoid making the mistake that, you know, we either set our failure mode at too high of a level or too low of a level? 
Well, when you're at too high of a level and you're doing your analysis, you're, you're kind of naturally stumped because there's not enough detail to make decisions. Now, when you're at too low of a level and you're taking your failure causes through your decision diagram, if you keep saying, for example, no scheduled maintenance, no scheduled maintenance, no scheduled maintenance, no scheduled maintenance, or the same task over and over again, that's a little bit of a clue that you're probably at too low of a level. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. That's a great tip, everybody. So the next thing, um, so we've went through common mistakes. Now, what's the best tip that you have for, for our listeners on how to get a great result from an RCM? Okay. It's somewhat the same thing, but my best tip is to make sure you really understand the process before you do it. So my mother taught me how to make homemade spaghetti, although she was Sicilian, so we called it macaroni, macaroni and, <laughs> and gravy for sauce. And I remember the first day that she taught me how to do it. The first thing that she did is she told me what we were going to do. We were going to get the flour and crack the eggs, and she gave me the recipe. So now you give someone the recipe, so you should be able to go do it. But when you make homemade macaroni, there's like an art to kneading the dough. And then how long do you knead it? Well, she could tell me five or 10 minutes, but sometimes it's eight minutes and sometimes it's 11 minutes. But when you're kneading that dough, all of a sudden the dough gets this velvety texture to it on the top and you just know that you're done kneading it. So it's the same thing with reliability-centered maintenance. You can take a course and you can read a book and you can get to really understand it. But to really know it, you have to have some experience doing it, just like most things in life. So my biggest tip is don't think that you can just go it alone if you've never done it before. If you want to do it right, you know, invest a little bit in your, in your own training and really get to understand the process. And so we're, we're, while, uh, while we're at that, um, if someone wants to reach out to you to help on their RCM, how would, they get a, how would they get a hold of you? Okay, so you can go to my website, which is rcmtrainingonline.com. And um, they can also email me at Nancy Regan, and that's all one word, N-A-N-C-Y-R-E-G-A-N, at rcmtrainingonline.com. And Rob, I'd also like to offer your listeners, I, I have an online RCM training program, but I have a video that I would be happy um, for your listeners to have if they, if they want to um, access it. It's a video that shows you how to write Philly modes at the right level. And so if you're interested in that, you just go to rcmtrainingonline.com forward slash explore e-x-p-l-o-r-e and um i hope that you will um sign up for the video and and enjoy it yeah i'll put the i'll put that link in the podcast notes and when i publish this so everyone can have it great yeah i hope people get a lot of value out of it i think that it's going to be good uh to avoid those mistakes definitely and that's a big one that's one of the biggest mistakes that i see happening so I got a couple more questions for, uh, for you about RCM. So once, okay. we've, once we've kind of generated the RCM report, we, we've done all those steps. We spent that, you know, week and a half, two weeks in a room. How do we make it happen on the maintenance end? 
Yeah. Oh, wow. This is super important. And, you know, you probably hear as often as I do that, you know, RCM, um, RCM fails most of the time. But in my experience, it's not RCM failing, but rather implementation of the results that kind of goes to the wayside. And the best way to head that off at the pass is to first of all, get buy-in to begin with for the people who are responsible for implementing the results. That is really important. So don't do RCM and then wait and say, hey, look at what we did. Now we have to implement this. But get them involved from the outset. Allow them to understand the process and understand why it needs to be done. And I know that isn't always easy. I mean, I've helped a lot of clients implement this process. And, you know, sometimes it takes one or two or three tries to, you know, get those people into the mix, but it's definitely possible. So just keep striving for it and make sure you get the right people involved from the outset, not after you've, you've done the analysis. And so would those people be the same people in the room or are they different people? Generally speaking, in my experience, they're different, you know, um, of certainly upper management is really important because they're in charge of the of the money and you know ultimately responsible for implementing the results but in my experience it's middle managers that are also super important because those are the people who are going to say all right yeah you can have joe i'll give him to you for the week that you need him so he's the one who's going to be giving up his best guys or gals um, for the LCM analysis. So he needs to be in the mix and he needs to understand the importance too. Absolutely. But he doesn't have to be in the room for that week either. No, usually not. No. Perfect. And so the last question I have for you, Nancy, is tell me a story of a successful RCM implementation that you've been a part of. Oh, okay. I you know, I, I have several success stories, but one I'm, I'm most proud of is I've worked with CH-47, the, the U.S. Army's um, Chinook helicopter. It's a heavy lift helicopter. And I worked with them for over 11 years. And when we first started applying reliability-centered maintenance, it was only in, we started implementing some of the results in 2004 and in 2007 three years later they achieved their readiness goal of 75 percent fully mission capable for the first time ever and that airframe is decades old um before we did rcm they were doing um their their main proactive maintenance every 200 flight hours and when we were done with it, it, it ended up being a 400 hour cycle. And then with a, with a little 200 hour servicing inspection um, in, in between, you know, um, major, not major maintenance, but typical proactive maintenance, we were able to reduce the number of maintenance tasks by 73%. Now that sounds like a lot, but one of the reasons for that is this was, it's a, you know, a very old airframe. And so over the decades, maintenance tasks were added, but, but the old ones were never re reviewed to see if they needed to take some away. So, <laughs> you know, some of it was just paperwork, but some of it were tasks that they just didn't need to be do anymore to do anymore. So the, you know, the entire phase maintenance requires 50% fewer man hours to complete. Of course, that means that there's less downtime for the aircraft for maintenance. So that means, you know, better availability. Um, I was, you know, I, it was a, 
a great opportunity for me on so many levels. I got to meet so many amazing people. And, you know, it doesn't matter what the machine is, if it's a compressor on the ground or a hydraulic system in the air, the people who take care of equipment on a day-to-day -day basis, I mean, they really love their equipment. And I was just always in awe at the of how much they knew about their equipment. And, you know, they love talking about it and offering their, their expertise of, about their equipment and having a hand in making changes to make things better for the equipment overall. You know, I 100% I agree with you, Nancy. That's my favorite thing about going to sites is interacting with the maintenance people, the millwrights, the mechanics, the people who are on the, in, on the floor who really do the maintenance. For the most part, they're the ones with all the brilliant ideas. Like I like to talk about, or well, us as reliability engineers, we like to talk about how, you know, we're the ones solving all the problems. But at the end of the day, without those people, we can't do our jobs correctly. Absolutely. And see, reliability-centered maintenance provides this audit trail, and the process elevates problems so that solutions can not only be formulated, but then, you know, for example, management can see in black and white what the problem is and what will happen if they don't fix it. So it really, it's a way for these equipment experts to get their ideas into a formal process so that they're their awesome solutions can be considered and hopefully implemented. And at the end of the day, that's what most of them want. Like everyone wants to be heard. And that's the frustration that I see a lot when I go around is just people, they have their ideas and just nobody's, nobody's listening. Yes, exactly. So f first of all, you know, Nancy, that was a great podcast. You know, you brought a lot of value. I learned some things. I want to say thank you for joining us. Oh, you're welcome, Rob. Thank you. I, I enjoyed it so much. And one thing I want to ask you is, you know, you mentioned RCM training online. We're going to have a link to your video. Is there anything, you know, should they follow you on LinkedIn? Should they send you an email? Where should they, where should our listeners find more about you? Yes, definitely on LinkedIn. I, I post videos every week. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn. You can, of course, search Nancy Regan. But my, you know, my full um, identifier is Nancy Regan RCM. So and I would love to, I would love it if your listeners would connect with me. If you want to send me a little note, say, hey, I heard you on the podcast. But, you know, either way, I'd love to have your listeners in my network. Or they can just find you at the Venetian. Yes, I'm at the Venetian. Absolutely. Look for George, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look for George.